Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Explosions are exciting. Who here loves the fireworks at Carol's Alive? I know I do. Every year at Carol's Alive, we take our family and we we set up on the lawn and we can't wait for the whole night sky to light up with firework after firework. And you can almost feel the explosions going off in your chest as they go off. It's exciting, it's thrilling. But the thing about fireworks is that fireworks don't last very long. Explosions are exciting, but they are only momentary. Fireworks light up the night sky for a moment, but then they're gone. The smoke clears and it's all over. You know, when it comes to the ministry of a local church, much of our efforts can be like fireworks. They are these explosions of activity and they're exciting in the moment. But when the smoke clears, you wonder what remains. You know, it's not uncommon for churches to be more focused on planning events, producing programs, or building structures than anything else. In the church world, we call it the three Bs, buildings, budgets, and bottoms on seats. And the whole focus of the staff can, and leadership and people can be on these things, buildings, budgets, and bottoms on seats. And you can feel a great sense of accomplishment with your programs and your buildings and your events. They're like explosions that light up the night sky. We had such and such amount of people coming to this event, or we've raised such and such amount of money and we've built this impressive building. And so we can focus on events and buildings and structures. But the only problem with events, buildings, and programs is that what is amazing today in a decade or so will probably not be so amazing. You know, I remember a few years ago reading the book, The Purpose Driven Church, and thinking to myself, this is it. This was a book all about how to design church and how to do church. And I thought, man, there doesn't need to be another book written. This is the book. If only churches would follow this book, then the church would grow. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with Rick Warren's book, and it did have some valuable insights. But as I read that book today, almost 30 years on or 20 years on, it's become really dated. And this is because programs and buildings and events, they don't last the test of time. You know, several years ago, there was this program called Awana. It was a Christian version of Boy Scouts and Girl Guides. And it was a great program in its time. It taught kids about Jesus and the Bible. And many people were reached through Awana. And there were Awana clubs everywhere. But now Awana has virtually disappeared. It is non-existent. And structures, they generally last longer than programs because buildings, obviously, by their very nature, are built to last. But I don't know if this has happened to you, if you've seen a building that you thought was very impressive, and then about a decade later, you come back and you realize that it's already starting to show signs of being built in a previous era. You know, the church that I went to on the Gold Coast, we once painted the inside of our auditorium in these bright and vibrant colors. The church had been experiencing some problems, and so we thought the way to turn it around was to give the inside of the church a paint job. All the large churches on the Gold Coast were painted in bright and vibrant colors. And so we painted our church bright and vibrant colors. And the first Sunday, it was like an explosion of life. It was exciting. 
We were now one of the cool churches because we had this auditorium with bright and vibrant colors. But after a couple of weeks, to be honest, we didn't even notice the color of the walls anymore. And it was only a couple of years later that the church painted the auditorium back to white, what it had originally been, because even though it'd been a few years, the bright colors were now dated. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that we should not run events or programs or build structures. These are all things that are necessary for a church, for a ministry. You know, we as a church are looking at the, the land across the road, across Foster's Road. It's going to probably come up for sale over the next couple of years, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us to build a ministry center smack bang in the middle of our community. So I'm not against buildings and programs, but I'm just wondering, should they be the focus of the church? Should they be the focus of my time and my energy and as, as a minister of the gospel? You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives on the Gold Coast, and we're talking about a couple of churches on the coast. And I asked him how this one particular church was doing. Because this one particular church, I won't give you its name, but this one particular church on the coast was the hottest church at the time. I mean, it had this purpose-built youth center that had a skateboard park. It had Nintendo 64 consoles, which like the coolest thing in the 90s. It had swimming pools. It had a 3,000-seat auditorium. It had a ministry school. It was exciting. Well, I asked him, I said, how's that church going now? He said, now there are only 100 people meeting in the 3,000-seat auditorium. The youth center in the skate park has been closed. You see, it was exciting. It lit up the night sky. But when the smoke cleared, it doesn't seem like there was much there. Now, I don't know about for you, but for me, I don't want to waste my life on things that will not last. Jesus said in John 15, he said, I have sent you out to go and to bear fruit, that your fruit may do what? That your fruit may remain, that it may last. You know, I want to have my fruit remain. I don't want to have it just go up in smoke. I don't just want something that seems exciting this year. But I want to have something that will last. So what should the focus of the church be? Well, obviously, the focus of the church should be the glory of God. Every time we gather together, we gather to focus on God and glorify Him and savor Him and worship Him and adore Him and just savor His grace that He's given us in Christ. But I think at the end of the book of Ephesians, we see another focus, I think, that needs to be the focus of our ministry if we are going to glorify Christ. Now, we've been studying the book of Ephesians for probably six months, and we come to the final greetings of the Apostle Paul in this letter and to be honest, this week, I was almost going to just jump over the top of it and just not even study it because, you know, it's just like Paul picks up his pen and he's just signing off the end of the letter. And so I was like, oh, we should really jump over to something more meaty. But then I was reminded that all Scripture is God-breathed and all Scripture is profitable and useful. And so we shouldn't just pass over these apparent boring sections of Scripture but they will probably have something meaty and deep in them for us even today. And when you study the, the letter of Ephesians, as we've been studying it, and you compare it to the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, 
you'll notice that Paul's letter to the Philippians was more personal. But this letter, the letter to the Ephesians, there isn't many personal remarks in it at all. And most commentators believe that that's because the letter to the Ephesians was meant to be like a circular letter. This letter was meant to be taken and passed around from church to church and read out and studied in all of the churches. But as we get to verse 21 and Paul's final farewell, the tone changes. It becomes a very personal tone. So look down your Bibles in verse 21. Paul says this, So that you also may know how I am doing and what I'm doing. So Paul wants them to know how he's doing in prison and he wants them to know what I'm doing. Tithicus, the beloved brother and the faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. So as Paul comes to the end of his letter, he says, I'm going to send you Tithicus and Tithicus is going to tell you what I'm doing and how I'm doing in prison and he's going to encourage your hearts. Now, who was this guy, Tithicus? Well, Tithicus's name means in Greek, by chance or lucky. <laughs> Have you ever had a friend called Lucky? Well, that's what Tithicus's name was, Lucky. And when you look up his name in a concordance, a concordance is this Bible tool that lists off every reference to a particular subject. If you were to get to T, you would notice that Tithicus, he first appears in the New Testament on the third missionary journey of Paul. Paul had three missionary journeys, and on the third missionary journey, Tithicus joined Paul. But what you also find is that Tithicus was with Paul when Paul took a collection to the church in Jerusalem. You see, the Christians in Jerusalem were suffering under this severe famine. And so what Paul did is he went around the churches of Asia Minor and he collected up a monetary offering to give to those suffering Christians in Rome. It's actually a beautiful picture of the unity of the body of Christ, that one part of the body was suffering. And so Paul got the Gentile churches to raise money so that they could provide relief for the Jewish church in Jerusalem. But notice that he also calls Tithicus this beloved brother and faithful minister. I mean, what a rap to be given by the Apostle Paul. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister. When you think of beloved brother, he could have, Paul could have just called him a brother, but he calls him a beloved brother. So obviously, Tithicus was a warm and loving sort of guy. He also calls him a faithful minister. This means that he was trustworthy. He kept his word. He did what he was assigned with integrity. Paul could entrust him with weighty responsibilities. And as we've said, he entrusted him with the responsibility of carrying the money to Jerusalem. But also there was something else that Paul entrusted him with. You see, it was Tithicus who took the letters to the Ephesians and the letters to the Colossians and the letters to Philemon. Now, as I was studying that this week, I was really blown away because it's such a small thing. It's such a small act of obedience, it's such a small act of faithfulness that Tithicus would deliver these letters that Paul had written. But little did Tithicus know that these letters were inspired by God and they would make their way into the New Testament. Who here loves the letter to the Ephesians that Paul wrote? 
Or the letter to the Colossians, which teaches about the supremacy of Christ. Or the letter that he wrote to Philemon. They are in your Bibles today. Because Tithicus did this small act of faithfulness. I mean, this speaks to me about the importance of small acts of faithfulness. Never underestimate. You might just be doing a small thing, but you never know how God might use that for His large, eternal purposes. Just such a small thing that no one may recognise, but yet God picks it up and uses it in such a powerful way. But also, I think what this passage teaches us is something about the focus of ministry. You see, the focus of our ministry shouldn't necessarily be on events and programs and buildings. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not producing a false dichotomy. These things are not bad things. But what I'm saying is that what this teaches us is that the focus of our ministry should actually be on developing Tithicuses. Developing people who will pass the gospel on to others, who will pass the gospel on to others, who will pass the gospel on to others. You see, I think when we think of the Apostle Paul, we tend to think of him as this lone wolf, as this Superman figure who is on a, a building with his, with his cap with his cape flying in the wind. I tend to think of him as this guy who goes around preaching the gospel and establishing churches. But when you study the end of the book of Ephesians and the book of Romans and the book of Philippians and the book of Colossians, you find out that Paul was surrounded by ministry colleagues, people who he was investing in. Chuck Swindoll says that it is Unlikely, you can find no evidence that Paul was ever truly alone in ministry, even during his imprisonments. He had faithful men like Tithicus, Titus, Timothy, Luke, Mark, and Aquila working alongside of him. He had faithful women like Priscilla and Phoebe partnering with him. Sometimes he would leave them behind to strengthen a church. Last year, we studied the book of Titus and we learned how Paul left Titus in Crete in order to strengthen the church and to appoint elders in the church. Sometimes he sent them on before him, like he sent Timothy on before he went to Corinth. But Paul's ministry was about investing in others who would invest in others who would invest in others who would invest in others. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says this to Timothy, "'What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses,' in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In this verse, you have four generations. There is Paul handing it on to Timothy. Timothy is then to entrust what he's received and pass it on to faithful men, but then they are to pass it on to others. It's not just good enough for me to train someone. I have to train someone so that they will train someone so that they will train someone else. You see, this is, I think... This should be the focus of our ministry. The focus of our ministry should be passing on the gospel to others so they'll pass it on to others so that they'll pass it on to others. This week is the final week for BSL, for the first BSL cohort in Nepal. BSL is the ministry called Barnabas School of Leadership. It's a ministry that our church has been involved in for the last two and a half years. What we do is we take a, a cohort of around 30 Nepalese pastors and over a period of two years, 
we have four leadership intensives that we give them. And this week, they're going to be graduating from, from the, the course. The first cohort's going to be graduating from the course. And for the past two years, myself and Chris Goodway have been going to Nepal. And you as a congregation have got to be very, very proud of Chris. God has really used Chris and Eileen. And Chris has really sacrificed to go over there to Nepal. And I wish you all could have been with me there last October because I came along and Chris came along and they were like, Brother Chris! They were so happy to see him. I was like, what about me? <laughs> but Chris has been going every time and he's kept up Skype conversations just imparting the gospel to these guys. And we're passing on the gospel to them so that they will pass on the gospel to others, so that they will pass the gospel on to others. This is a picture of Chris with a guy called Kishan. Kishan was a slave. There was slavery still in Nepal, and Kishan was a slave, and God radically converted him. And he was freed from his slavery. And then he had the opportunity to go and get an engineering degree, and then God called him into ministry, and he earned a Bachelor of Ministry, and Kishan pastors a church that has over 10 church plants. People who have come to Christ for the very first time. Here's what their church buildings look like for some of you to see. This is what their church building looks like. This is what they look like when they worship, just calling out to Jesus, just praising Jesus, worshiping Jesus. And you and I, we can't go there. We can't be there. But we can invest in people like Kishan who can pass on the gospel to others, who can pass on the gospel to others, to pass on the gospel to others. Here's a picture of Kishan actually taking the material that we taught him and he teaches it to others. Now, this is only one week that I give every year of my life, but I tell you, it is a worthwhile investment because he's taking the gospel to places that I will never go. That is fruit that will last. This last week, we had the first meeting of the combined City Reach elders. In 2014, as City Reach Oakton, we were growing larger, and we wondered, what are we going to do? God, what do you want us to do? Do you just want us to build one big church here, or what do you want us to do? And we felt that God was calling us to be a church-planting church. And so in 2016, we planted City Reach West, and in two, last year, in 2018, we planted City Reach Marion. And we have a vision over the next 10 years to plant 10 churches in Adelaide. You might think that that's a big vision, people. But I'm going to challenge you right now. Just think about this. If every one of those church plants were to have 200 people in them, which would be really amazing, 200 converted people, 10 times 200 is how much? 2,000 people. That's a drop in the bucket in the darkness that we see in Adelaide. We need hundreds of churches, hundreds of churches, evangelistic churches of people on fire for Jesus, taking the gospel to other people. Anyway, what has happened now, so that you know, is that we have formed an organization called the City Reach Family of Churches. On the board sits myself, Steve Rose, and Michael Davies, who's the chairman of our elders here at Oakton, each 
church is its own individual church with its own individual eldership, but we gather together to share resources and to encourage one another in our mutual vision to reach 10 and to plant 10 churches over the next 10 years. And as I was sitting in that meeting on Wednesday night, I just looked across at Lawson Hannaford. Lawson came to me three years ago and he shared with me his burden for church planting and so I started meeting up with him and started investing in him. And then over the next year, he really took off as a leader and became our church planting resident. And as I sat there on Wednesday night and saw him share the word of God with us, it was the biggest joy. On June the 1st, uh, City Reach Marion is going to be beginning a Mandarin-speaking congregation for the southern part of the city. God has brought along a pastor to lead up a Mandarin-speaking congregation, and there are no Chinese churches in the south of the city, and so we're really praying for that. That's just amazing what God is doing. They are able to reach people that we will never reach. Do you know, this April, it's been nine years since I've been here at, in South Australia, Nine years, I'm going into my 10th year of ministry here in Adelaide, it's, it's flying by, but you know, I came here as a young man with small kids, and uh, now my kids are growing up, one of them's married, one of them's still looking, if you've got any options out there. <laughs> um, but as I looked across on Wednesday night, and I saw my precious brother, Andrew Green, that is where I get my joy in ministry from. When I first came to Adelaide, Andrew was a young man in his 20s, married to Michelle, and God got a hold of his life. And over the next four years, it was amazing to watch him develop as a preacher and as a pastor. And now to see the church, City Reach West, and the elders at City Reach West, and the people at City Reach West thriving and taking the gospel forward in the West. It's just the, the biggest joy in my heart. You see, let me tell you something. Plans and programs and structures don't last. People are eternal. If you want to have fruit that lasts, invest in people. Look at all those names on that cross. The reason why we're asking you to invite people next Good Friday and to pray for people is because people are eternal. And that's fruit that will last. They've got to encounter the living God. They've got to encounter Jesus. Now, I know it's so easy as a minister of the gospel to focus on plans and programs and buildings. Do you know why? Because it's easy to, to have this sense of accomplishment. Oh, look, I've got this many people in my church. I'm a success. Jesus preached to crowds. But you know what happened? The crowds that on Palm Sunday welcomed him in by Friday were saying, crucify him. It's not necessarily about crowds. It's about sowing the gospel into people's lives one by one by one by one so that they are changed and they take the gospel further than you could ever take them, than you could ever take it. 
Now, Paul ends his letter with a benediction. Look down in your Bibles in the benediction. He ends his letter in verse 23 this way. He says, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most commentators observe that this benediction is very different to the other benedictions that Paul writes in the rest of his letters. And the emphasis in Greek is he places the word peace right at the very beginning of the sentence. And that is because if you've been with us, you will know that part of the issue in the church in uh, Ephesus was that there was this Jew and Gentile divide. And Paul says in chapter two that Jesus has broken down the dividing wall of hostility and created one new man. He's created this mystery that was not revealed in the past, but the church is now this multi-ethnic thing. And so Paul is praying, may there be peace in the church. May there be peace in this church. May the gospel rule in our hearts. May our love rise up from our faith in Jesus so that we love each other and lay down our lives for one another. But then Paul ends this great letter in verse 24 in this way. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The final bell that Paul rings in this letter is the same bell that he struck right at the very beginning. Right at the very beginning, he opens by speaking about the unmerited grace and favour of God and he ends the letter in the same way. Grace be upon you. Grace be upon you. Grace be upon you. Grace be upon you. May God's unmerited favour be upon you. I was really challenged earlier this year as I was reading this book called The Unhurried Leader by Alan Fadling. And one of the things that Alan says is he talks about Jesus in Matthew 11, how Jesus says, come to me, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will do what? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And he says, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And this is what Alan Fadling says. He says, often in the West, we invite people, we invite people to come, but we say, come to me because I am gifted and I'm intelligent. Come to our church because we're the cool church with the colorful walls. Jesus says, come to me because I am gentle and humble of heart and under my leadership, you will find rest for your souls. Because it's all about grace, people. It's all about grace. We're saved by this wonderful grace of God. And what we pass on to others is not law, 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 law. But we invite people to come to Jesus and experience his wonderful, wonderful grace. That's what, what are we doing on Friday? But we're inviting people to come and see the greatest act of grace ever. That the Son of God would lay down His life for us as a sacrifice for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an act of grace. And that should promote in us what Paul calls love incorruptible. Love that is passionate and devoted to Jesus. Or we say, I'll lay down my life because he gave his life for me. Well, let's close in prayer, shall we?
Lord, we thank you for our study of this great letter. It begins with grace, it ends with grace, and it challenges us to take this grace and to pass it on to others, who will pass it on to others, who will pass it on to others, who will pass it on to others. Father, the most important thing is people. People matter to you. People are eternal. And you have promised to build your people up, your church, person by person. Oh, Father, we thank you so much for your word that we've read today and studied today. And we bow our hearts before your word, Lord, and we pray that you would change us and empower us to be your people on mission. To be faithful people who could take your word to others. Thank you so much for what we've experienced and what we've seen and how you've taught us through the letter of Ephesians. And we've only scratched the surface of its truth. I'm certain. I'm certain that we will continue to study this great book for the rest of our lives. But thank you for the lessons that we've learned as we have studied this together as a church family. And I pray, Lord, that we would grow to become more like Jesus through our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together. Let's.